0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, In Good Company. I'm Nicolas Tangen, the CEO of the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund. In this podcast, I talk to the leaders of some of the largest companies we are invested in so that you can learn what we own and meet these impressive leaders. Today, I'm speaking to Francois Jacob, CEO of Air Liquide. Air Liquide is a French multinational company that sells industrial gases across the world. They basically sell air. We own 2,5% of Elikid, translating into 18 billion kroner, or almost 2 billion US dollars. How is it possible to sell Air for 30 billion euros? Stay tuned and find out.
1: Bonjour François, ça va? Euh, bonjour Nicolas.
0: Euh, on fait l'interview en français alors? Non, oh, ouais, On peut, mais je crois peut-être euh, anglais a mieux. Well, I'm uh, really happy today to have uh, Francois Jacob, the CEO of this amazing uh, French company called Ehrlich Heat, and um, uh, it's been a company I've admired for a very long time and one of the finest companies, I think, in the world. So, uh, great pleasure to have you on.
1: Well, thank you very much, uh, Nicolai. Thank you for the opportunity. It's great to be here today. So, my
0: first question is a bit of a kind of naive question. How is it possible to make money out of thin air?
1: Well, that's maybe a part of the recipe of uh, air liquid. You know, we are working with uh, very simple molecules uh, that we have not even invented ourselves. Somebody else did that a billion of years ago. Uh, so it's mostly working uh, with uh, oxygen, nitrogen, uh, hydrogen, CO2, uh, argon, xenon, air gases, uh, Uh, But I think the key is to really focus on our business, uh, not only on how to produce, extract those uh, gases who who have unique properties, but also to find uh, ways for our customer uh, to use them uh, either for safety, for productivity, for uh, health, many, many, many applications. But how
0: um, how many times can you split air into how many products?
1: Well, I think basically you you can extract. I mean the main components. So uh, the main one is nitrogen. And nitrogen is a great gas to inert. To avoid explosion, for example, in the refinery, uh, but also to protect any kind of uh, oxidation in the food, for example, industry. They're using a lot of uh, very pure nitrogen, but also when you are making uh, semiconductors to make sure that uh, the atmosphere is ex- super pure. Uh, so that's the main one. But the other one, uh, which is also uh, unique is uh, oxygen, uh, which uh, oxygen is the, the gas which is uh, the gas of life, because you're breathing oxygen, Uh, but it's also the the gas of uh, fire, which is helping uh, combustion, uh, welding, cutting, metal fabrication, but also oxidation to make a a lot of stuff, uh, which could be uh, steel, glass, plastics. And then you've got smaller components, uh, argon, for example, and you've got uh, uh, multiple uh, rare gases, which are... uh, parts per million or parts per billion in the air. And those have also unique properties.
0: Now, what is your personal favorite gas?
1: My personal favorite gas? I think it's probably oxygen because, as I mentioned, oxygen is the gas of life. Mm. Uh, it's uh, help us to breathe. Uh, and unfortunately, I mean, uh, we all have seen, I mean, the importance of oxygen during the COVID time uh, where uh, oxygen uh, help to uh, save uh, millions of of lives, but uh, also oxygen is the gas which is uh, helping uh, high temperature for, uh, as I mentioned, uh, oxidation processes, but also uh, cutting welding. So probably uh, oxygen, which uh, has been uh, at the the roots of air liquid, is one of my favorites, But today, more and more, uh, we see also hydrogen, and hydrogen is is becoming also clearly one of the favorite because hydrogen is uh, a gas which today is used to make um, clean gasoline and diesel. It's used to Mm -hmm. remove sulfur uh, from the the petroleum, Uh, so it's very useful today in terms of uh, environmental impact. But tomorrow, the big potential is in the energy transition to be able to use hydrogen as a clean energy vector.
0: And we will and we will come back to that very important question. But um, in the meantime, not many people know that you are one of the best performing companies in Europe. Uh, you delivered some twelve percent return over the last ten years, which is kind of incredible in a market which has been difficult. So why why are you so successful as a company?
1: Well, I think maybe part of the the recipe is that we we manage to um, have a, a mix of uh, resilience and growth capabilities. Uh, I think the resilience is based on on the big a mix of uh, of our businesses, uh, being uh, in manufacturing but being uh, also uh, in in uh, in healthcare, for example, uh, having a, a footprint which is a global footprint uh, in the different geographies, but also the resilience comes from the business model. We are part of our activity, especially when we are dealing with the uh, largest uh, customer, when we build, own, and operate a plant which is dedicated for a customer or for uh, an industrial basin, we have long-term contracts uh, with take or pays, with indexation for uh, energy uh, cost path-through, for example. And that business model is uh, providing a very, very strong capability to perform in good, but also in more difficult uh, times. Uh, so I think that's very important. On top of that, uh, we are a growing company and we have been always growing. I mean, uh, between uh, 5 and, and 7 8% uh, over the past uh, 20, 30 years. I would like also to believe that uh, the, the recipe comes from who we are, where uh, if we think about our culture and our values, performance is something which is really uh, deeply rooted in our uh, DNA. Um mm-hmm. Being a successful company for 120 years, uh, I think we never are fully satisfied with the results. Uh, We always try to uh, push the limit. We think uh, long term. We want to innovate. We want to bring value through innovation. Uh, And I think that's very important. And that's part of the recipe for the long term and the long term performance. So if we dive in a
0: bit to the contracts, because they are quite... um Different from many other industries, right? So if I have a car company or a steel company or a brewery, you make a small little plant next to my plant, right? Yes, yes, Yes. And then you put some pipes in and you deliver everything I need in terms of gases. For a long period of time. So these contracts, how long are they typically for?
1: Well, typically, I mean, for those uh, large customers, there are uh, uh, 15 or 20-year contracts. Uh, What is very important is that uh, we design ourselves the plant because we have our own engineering capabilities, which is part of the recipe. uh, Because not only we uh, design the plant, we build and we own and operate the plant, but we are feeding back the engineering and the technology team with the experience of an operator which is hmm. making a huge difference between somebody who is just an engineering company or somebody who is just an operator. We have a full uh, circle, basically, where we can improve the plants, the design, the performance based on the, uh, on the operation. And we have the technical capabilities to do that. Uh, and, and, t- theory, and, and,
0: take, and, and take or pay contracts means that yeah. I have to pay whether I need your gas or not, right? The Long-term contract, uh, Yes, I pay.
1: Typically, you have um, 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 an obligation uh, to take part of the volume, which could be uh, 70, 80, sometimes 100% of the nameplate capacity of of the unit. But what we are doing also, which is very important, uh, um, is uh, we are taking, of course, the full responsibility and the full risk for the investment and for the operation.
0: So you um, kind of split the world, in a way, in in so-called basins. Uh, Isn't that right? There were areas where you have... Uh, deliver to a lot of different companies and, and in a way control that area. Is that right?
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. I think one of the, uh, the key strengths of Air Liquide is to uh, be present in some uh, key industrial basins where you have a high concentration of uh, manufacturing industries, uh, refining, chemical, uh, steel industry. Uh, by being present there, we can oversize some of the units and supply multiple customers from a single plant or a series of plants. Then we build uh, our own network uh, in terms of pipelines that we own and operate ourselves, and we can optimize the the production, which provides some benefit in terms of cost because of the economies of scales, but also provide a much increased reliability, which is absolutely key for our customer because those kind of industry, uh, refinery or steel plant, can never stop. Do you split the world between you and your competitors then? No, uh, absolutely not. Uh, I think the industrial gas industry for the very large uh, uh, plants uh, are uh, shared between a few competitors who have the technical capabilities to build this kind of uh, units and to operate them. But uh, we are competing uh, everywhere in in the world where, of course, it makes sense for each of us. So in some places, we are very strong. In others, it's uh, more challenging. But no, it's... uh, it's a global competition for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, your gases go into all kinds of industries, semiconductors, frozen pizza, beer, I mean, hey, everything. What do you think is the most fascinating
1: industry that you support? Um. Well, I think indeed we are extremely fortunate to have a a fascinating uh, customer uh, and we are at the leading edge of uh, the uh, transformation and the innovation of uh, industry. Probably one of the uh, most uh, demanding uh, customers are the customers in the semiconductor industry, uh, in the fabs, uh, because the fabs are becoming bigger and bigger and more and more advanced. And the level of Purity, uh, which is required for our gases, is uh, just uh, amazing. Here we are talking about level of impurity in nitrogen, for example, which is used in a fab, at a level of one part per trillion. So really, really nothing in terms of uh, impurity. And on top of that, you cannot stop, because if you stop, it's tens of millions of dollars of uh, damage that you can create to the full production line. So in terms of... uh, Benchmarking and standard—that's probably the most demanding and fast-moving uh, industry. So here you deliver to the likes of Nvidia, AMD, and so on. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, we uh, we supply to uh, many of the chip makers or the memory uh, maker uh, in in the world, uh, either the uh, uh, the original maker or the uh, the foundries. That's good. Now, you also um,
0: supply to the space exploration program. What do you do here?
1: Space is a very interesting uh, area indeed, and that's another application. We have been involved in the space program in uh, in Europe uh, since the 60s, huh, the beginning of the Ariane uh, rocket. Because when you look at the Ariane, and since then we have worked on all the versions of Ariane, basically uh, what you see from the outside is a very large uh, liquid hydrogen tank and a very large uh, liquid oxygen tank. So we were making those tanks and we were also supplying uh, all the liquid oxygen and liquid uh, uh, hydrogen. So we continue to do that uh, for the, uh, uh, for the rocket and for the launch, uh, of course. So we are present there. But uh, we have also other activities, for example, in the satellite, uh, where uh, for the satellites where you are doing Earth observation, for example, you need to have some kind of infrared equipment, which required a very, very low temperature. Those are super sophisticated uh, devices that we supply to some of those uh, satellites. And what we see today is uh, a renewed interest in uh, space exploration. So it's uh, very exciting for uh, many of us. Uh, because it's uh, talking about uh, uh, helping to uh, launch uh, satellites with a very low uh, carbon footprint, to, th- to think about, I mean, alternative uh, fuels, and hydrogen is one of them, uh, to be able to reduce the carbon footprint of the, the space activity. But also, more and more, we have requests from uh, customers to uh, work with them to find ways to... Um, Extend the um, the life uh, in the in space. Uh, for example, to have a life uh, supports, how you are going to breathe in space, how you are going to purify oxygen, how you are going to capture CO2, for example, in the, in the shuttle uh, in the space. Uh, but also, how you are going to uh, extract resources and use resources, manage waste, uh, for example. So a lot of questions which are very interesting for the space exploration, but also which uh, probably bring back to us some of the solutions that we can use already on Earth.
0: Really, really fascinating. Now, you mentioned briefly um, hydrogen. What, what do you see uh, your role being in the energy transition?
1: Well, clearly in the energy transition, uh, we see ourselves as being... Uh, what we call a climate champion. We should be uh, an enabler to help our customer to reduce uh, their carbon footprint, uh, to improve their energy efficiency. Um, and we have uh, many uh, tools for that. And the, the thing is that we are in a position today to offer concrete solutions. Uh, if I take one example uh, uh, around uh, oxygen, um, because we talk a lot about hydrogen, but oxygen can be also very uh, helpful in the energy transition. If you use oxygen in an air combustion process, for example, when you are making glass, and uh, when you are making glass, the first step is to basically uh, have a furnace with a very hot uh, temperature to to, to, m- to melt the, uh, the feedstock to make the, the, the glass. If you replace... Uh, your uh, g- your uh, gas um uh, your oxygen sorry which is coming from air with pure uh, oxygen then the benefit is that you've got a much higher uh, flame temperature you've got a much better energy transfer in the furnace and you can save between 15 and 20% of uh, uh fuel in your process so that's great because it's saving uh Uh, Energy, But also it's reducing the carbon footprint because you're emitting less CO2. On top of that, because you don't have the nitrogen, you have replaced the uh, nitrogen from air with pure oxygen, then the flue gas is highly concentrated in CO2 and you can capture the CO2 much more uh, easily. So for the companies who want to capture CO2 outside of their process, it's much more economical to do so. So oxycombustion in the glass, but it's the same in aluminum, for example, recycling. It's a big market which is booming right now mm. because, again, not only um, efficiency in terms of uh, uh, energy utilization and reduction of the bill, but reduction also of the carbon footprint.
0: We see that industrial gases companies have high scope, one and two emissions. How, how should we as investors look at that?
1: Well, I think uh, we, we have uh, indirect emission because we are using electricity to produce uh, oxygen and nitrogen. And we have direct emission mostly because we produce hydrogen today from uh, natural gas and fossil fuels. Um, so if you just stop that and you look at the uh, absolute value, uh, then you may say, well, a company like Air Liquid has indeed uh, 40 million tons of uh, CO2 between uh, Scope 1 and Scope 2. So it's a lot. But I think what you need to do is to look at two things. First, how uh, our uh, gases and products and services are used by our customer. The example that I just mentioned on the glass industry shows that oxygen provides energy efficiency and help our customer to save on CO2. So there's a lot of uh, environmental benefits by using our gases. Today, hydrogen, the main application is in the refining to prevent, I mean, the, the sulfur from being emitted during the combustion of the fuel because we remove the sulfur from hydrogen. So a very strong uh, contribution in terms of environmental footprint. So that's clearly something uh, to consider. I mean, the, the impact on uh, what we do, which is positive for uh, our customer. The second thing is that you need to look at the movie, not just uh, the, the picture of uh, what uh, what we are doing and how much we are emitting. We are completely committed to uh, carbon neutrality. Um, and on top of that, we have a clear roadmap to reduce by one-third the absolute value, and we were the first in the industry to take that commitment, by 2035 in terms of uh, scope one and scope two emission. And either by 2025, we are going to see an inflection, a reduction in the absolute value of our emission. We do that, uh, and that's part of uh, the thing that we are committed to do, to reduce our own emission, purchasing renewable electricity, for example, capturing CO2 from our hydrogen plant, or switching the hydrogen production from a fossil uh, fuel-based process to electricity using electrolyzer, for example. Mm
0: -hmm. There's been some discussion that... um the hydrogen that you produce may not be as green as uh, as as you claim. What are your comments to that?
1: Well, I think we have been always very clear uh, on uh, the way we are producing hydrogen. And uh, this, by the way, is being uh, audited by third parties. So I don't think there is uh, any misunderstanding on this. Most of the hydrogen that we are producing today is coming from natural gas, so it has a carbon footprint, for sure. Uh, But we are also the most advanced in converting the hydrogen production uh, to uh, reduce the carbon footprint. Either on uh, putting carbon capture on our own units, we are the only one today to have an industrial scale uh, carbon capture unit in operation since 2015 in one of our uh, plants to be able to capture the CO2. That's one. And we have many other projects for our existing units. And on top of that, we are uh, the company which is operating the largest uh, electrolyzer in the world, in Canada, in Bécancourt, which is 20 megawatts for a PEN unit, uh, which is using electricity, low-carbon uh, electricity, because it's uh, from uh, hydro uh, plants and producing uh, hydrogen. And on top of that, we are going to scale that by a factor of 10, having uh, three large projects in Europe, 200 megawatt each. So, yes, today, in fact, we are emitting CO2 when we are producing hydrogen, but we have a clear uh, roadmap to decarbonize the hydrogen production. François,
0: I'd love to talk about um, the eliquid copper culture. Now, you've been breathing eliquid gas since, well, nearly since you were born, right? You worked in eliquid the whole life.
1: Uh, <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, I've been with Alitit for thirty
0: years. That's amazing. What are the benefits of spending the whole life in one company?
1: Well, I think uh, there are many, uh, many benefits. Clearly, uh, the fact that um, uh, I've been around quite a bit uh, in, in many countries, I've lived in uh, in several countries. Uh, I have been uh, involved managing uh, a lot of uh, businesses. Um, I know our teams, uh, I know our customers, uh, I've been through uh, different times, sometimes crises, crisis, uh, difficult ones. Um, so I think this depth is for us extremely important and for myself extremely uh, important. And uh, I think it's giving me the opportunity to really understand our strengths, but also our weaknesses and to position ourselves uh, currently uh, at best. Because I think one of the very exciting uh, thing today is that we have more opportunities than ever. So we have to be in a position. And I think as a CEO, I have to position uh, us to be in a position to seize those opportunities at best. Mm, mm. Now,
0: as a company, you don't hire much from the outside. What, What is the thinking here?
1: Well, I think we do hire, I mean, uh, people uh, more than 10,000 uh, every year, basically. But this is true that uh, typically we don't hire so much uh, mid-career uh, people because we have uh, a, a culture of developing people, uh, providing opportunities uh, to uh, to work and to uh, get experience in different parts of the world, in different uh, uh, businesses. We are, I don't think working within uh, silos, uh, we give opportunities. You can be working in, uh, in a technical field, uh, then uh, moving to uh, uh, commercial, then moving to HR, then moving to finance. So that's part of the DNA, which I think is creating uh, a lot of, uh, uh, I would say, uh, interest and uh, excitement. Uh, as a result, I mean, people tend to stay longer uh, with their liquid, more than 10 years on, on, on average, and, and many uh, of them uh, much, uh, much longer. Um, So mobility is something which is very important. Uh, It's also helping to build a network internally uh, and, again, to know uh, our uh, businesses. I think the depth is very important. Uh, But it's not only, I mean... uh, uh, getting uh, and moving in different functions because we value also very much the, uh, the technical expertise uh, and the depth. And we have identified already more than 20 years ago the kind of uh, a technical career ladder where we grow the people in their expertise to make sure that they can continue to grow, to learn, to develop themselves while keeping really a uh, very strong focus on, on specific area, which is the only way for us to create value. Mm.
0: I, I absolutely love this thinking, and we are working hard on it uh, in uh, in this fund as well. Um, so let's take you, for instance. What are what are the skill sets that you have acquired over the years in Aliquid?
1: Well, I think the first one, probably, uh, I, I myself have a, a more, I would say, a technology background because I am a chemist. I, I, I studied uh, in in France and in the uh, in the US. Then I did an MBA, uh, but I really wanted to start uh, with the commercial and business development function. Uh, and for me, it's one of the key elements uh, in in any uh, personal development to be in front of the customer. Uh, I still do that uh, all the time. Every week, I I meet uh, several Uh, customers. I mean, it's important at every stages of your career. At the beginning, to listen to the customer, uh, to uh, be able to sell the benefit of the company and the, the, the value that we are creating. I think it's very important. As we go, uh, it's also extremely important to continue to have that direct connection. Um, I think for a CEO and for any uh, leader, it's, it's important to have this connection. It's also a, um, a humility uh, experience because uh, when a customer is not happy, he's going to tell you, uh, whoever you are. Uh, and I think that's very important to get uh, that, uh, that connection. After, I got uh, experience in terms of more of, uh, of technical uh, uh, aspects. Uh, I was in charge of uh, innovation. I was in charge of uh, some part of the engineering at uh, at some point. Um, but I had also the opportunity to uh, early on uh, think in terms of uh, strategy. Um, in uh, 1999, the top management of LIT at that time uh, asked me to work uh, specifically for the uh, uh, the general management on two topics. So 1999, one was CO2 and global warming. What does it mean for us? And the other one was hydrogen as, a, as an energy uh, uh, vector potential, uh, what this could mean. So that helped me really, I mean, to think about that. And um, I don't know if I should say I've been fortunate, but I've been through uh, several crises, uh, which also as a leader is very important. Uh, to be able to uh, run a company when things are good and quote-unquote easy it's never really easy but also in difficult times
0: what what's the most important thing you can tell us about crisis management
1: um probably one of the crises which for me was uh, uh, really uh, Um, uh, challenging one uh, was that uh, I was the CEO of our uh, Japanese operation in 2011 during the Fukushima uh, crisis. So, I mean, first, uh, physically, when you are in the middle of uh, of this, uh, uh, the air liquid in Japan is quite a large uh, subsidiary. I mean, you physically uh, go through the earthquake and the tsunami and everything. Then you need to have to uh, uh, take care of your... uh, uh, almost 4,000 employees that you have there. Uh, and then suddenly, I mean, a few hours after the beginning of the earthquake, you've got a call from the uh, plant manager of the Fukushima uh, nuclear plant, which is asking uh, you to deliver a nitrogen to the plant to inert some of the processes to prevent explosion. Wow. So what do you do? Do you send somebody there? Uh, I mean, in the middle of uh, all the explosion and of what's going on, you have some of your employees which are volunteering to come there, so as a as a leader you're really in a position where there is nothing written there is no procedure so you have to really make up your mind and decide by yourself that's where I really had to go back to my inner values and decide what is right or what is wrong or what I should uh, be doing
0: so what did, you, what and I did think you for do? me what did you do
1: in this case uh, well basically in this case in spite of uh, the insistence of some of the employees to drive the truck there um, I uh, asked to make a deal with the army where we supplied uh, the nitrogen uh, 50 kilometers away from the from the plant, from the nuclear plant, and then they came and took the, the nitrogen, delivered that to the uh, nuclear plant, and then uh, came back because they were equipped uh, to be close to the radiation. But that's just one example among, I mean... Uh, Almost hundreds that I had to uh, take for the past uh, for the for the few months during the, the crisis, and probably one of the things that I realized is that when you are um, uh, leading a company, you are making decisions which impact the life of uh, people, but very often you don't see that directly because it's kind of diluted in time. Mm. And if you take a right or the wrong decision, you will impact the life of people, but you will see that maybe a few years uh, later. In that crisis, and that's very often the case in crisis, everything is basically uh, compressed and you see the immediate impact of your action and you sense this uh, responsibility. So for me, that was very important. And again, to use my own uh, internal compass to make decision and to connect the two, your personal life, your personal value, and then your professional uh, life. And that's very important. I cannot say that because that's a drama for uh, everybody in Japan, uh, but this experience was really for me something which helped me to uh, be clear on who, we are, who I am and where I want to go.
0: What are your most personal, uh, your most important personal
1: values? Well, I think I'm probably pretty close to the values of air liquid. Uh, the first, uh, for me, um, uh, there's two things which are very important. The first one is respect respect of people, which means respect of uh, uh, employees, uh, respect of customers, respect of shareholders, of uh, stakeholders, and that's really a fundamental value in everything you do. You have to put the the people at the center of, uh, for who they are. That's one. The second one is performance. And uh, again, this is true for Aliquid, but this is true for myself. Tend to be never satisfied, uh, wants to reach the limit, we are fortunate to, we are fortunate to have uh, capabilities resources i think my duty for myself and for the people around me for the organization is to really help everybody around to fulfill their full potential and to mm-hmm. go at the maximum of what they can do and they can achieve and uh, That's something which has, which is never ended, but it's really a strong driver for me. But you should not, you should keep the two, respect and performance. Mm.
0: So if I joined Air Liquide, in what way would I feel that it's a French company?
1: Well, probably if you listen to me, you will get my French accent, so that's one of the (laughs) <laughs> but um, I'm not sure we are a French company. I mean, of course, we have a, a French uh, uh, headquarters, and, and you are here in, in, in Paris. Uh, but I think we are truly a, a, a global company uh, with, I mean, uh, French and European roots, for sure. Uh, but uh, we are global, and we are very local, because our products do not travel. So everywhere we are, we are basically operating as a local company, with, of course, I mean, the support of the group. But uh, we are very, very local in what we are doing. And I think this mindset about uh, uh, being in in many different places has been since the origin of Air Liquide. Remember that Air Liquide was created in 1902, and we were in Japan, I mentioned Japan just before, in 1907, and this is true for many, many of the countries. We have been very early on because for us, we are, I think, uh, pioneers. We like to uh, think that we are. And uh, and really, we want to push um, the envelope of uh, where we are operating everywhere in the world.
0: Mm. Um, some French companies have quite a lot of hierarchy and, um, you know, quite a bit of power distance between the layers. How do you see Elikid in that respect?
1: Um, I don't believe that we are uh, that way, and I th- but maybe you should ask uh, uh, our team uh, team members. Um, I think we have a, a culture where we are uh, strategically uh, centralized, but uh, clearly we are decentralized in terms of uh, uh, empowerment and, uh, and responsibilities. And that's very important. Myself, and I try to, uh, uh, as much as possible, uh, walk the talk, uh, I've got a really um, uh, open-door policy and I try to interact a lot uh, with uh, our team members uh, everywhere in the organization and to have uh, as uh, much as possible, I mean, direct interaction. So, uh, I don't believe that we are a super uh, hierarchical uh, uh, company, but again, it's probably not for me to to say that. Who is the CEO in the world you admire the most? Ah, that's a that's a good q- question. Uh, uh, I think uh, there are uh, CEOs that I think are uh, quite uh, amazing. Recently, I was talking to Yumfori uh, from uh, Airbus, and uh, I think he's doing a, an amazing job and he's got a clear vision. So, it's pretty good. And um, how do you learn? Um, how do I learn? That's a great question because I had this discussion this morning. I had a breakfast with a team of uh, employees, and I was insisting on the fact that uh, curiosity and learning is absolutely key. Um, I try to learn uh, uh, all the time, and that's part probably also of the answer to your question uh, before about uh, being with the Aliquid for 30 years. Uh, because that's really part of the excitement of uh, of this uh, company is that we are exposed to a lot of uh, geographies, a lot of customers, a lot of trends, which are really at the forefront of what is happening in the world. And um, I talk a lot with uh, customers, with suppliers, uh, with people uh, from the different uh, governments around mm-hmm. the world. I read. I like to read very much. Uh, I visit plants, uh, but also I try to see uh, other things uh, in arts, in uh, in other uh, discipline, uh, to keep uh, me as aware as possible, not to restrict basically uh, my vision, but try to expand. What do you What um, do you read? what do I read? Uh, well, you're,
0: you're French, so you probably read philosophy or, you know, something really difficult. No,
1: no. Sorry, I uh, maybe, uh, well, I, sometimes I do, but uh, um, I probably have always a, a book that I'm, I'm reading. Uh, and uh, the, the books that I like, uh, I like very much uh, biographies, uh, for example, um, there is one that uh, I like very much, which is uh, Magellan uh, by Stefan Svey. Uh, so, uh, because it's uh, about uh, sailing, and I like personally to sail uh, very much, it's major, about adventure. Major. It's good, um, good sport absolutely a uh, lot of fun and a good way also to see the world from a different angle uh so the story of Magellan is just it's uh, just amazing uh in terms also of uh, of leadership uh, skills in terms of adventure in terms of uh, um uh, what he, he discovered it's very well written so I like things which are uh, well written so i, I like to uh, to read uh, biographies for sure so. uh but currently i'm reading another one uh, which is the um uh, engineers of, uh, of Chaos from Dampoli, uh, which is about um, social media and uh, how social media are used and sometimes misused, especially by politicians. Uh, and uh, it's a little bit an investigation in uh, something which is, for me, a real danger for all of us, uh, which is those populist uh, movements that we see uh, all over the world. <laughs> When you look at your
0: life, what are the biggest setbacks you've had?
1: Well, um, I think, of course, I mean, we I had uh, failures, uh, professional failures in, in some of the things that I wanted to, uh, to achieve, uh, probably um, contracts that I wanted to sign that uh, I did not manage to convince uh, the customers. Um, Probably uh, some setbacks about uh, development and, and technology uh, and, and market opening, uh, clearly. Um, so uh, those are things that uh, I try to, to reflect uh, upon. Uh, we need to have the humility to uh, accept that we are not perfect. And uh, it's very often opportunity uh, to learn and to improve, hopefully uh, to make better the next time. Uh, but for me, uh, there are... Uh, Lot of uh, learnings from that. So, what do you think is the key to overcome setbacks? Well, when I, I think about uh, what I've been doing in my career, uh, I realize that at the beginning of my career, I spent a lot of time uh, working and doing things uh, professionally. Maybe I did not spend enough time with my family, with my wife, uh, with my friends, and and for me, it's. Uh, to some extent, a failure. To be able to listen to my friends, my wife, my children, uh, talking about that and trying to help me uh, to overcome that is quite important. Um, and that's something that uh, does require some efforts because as we go, I mean, uh, and we race uh, to the top, uh, we have more and more people who are telling us that we are wonderful, that we are uh, doing incredible things and it's perfect and so on and so forth. So we need to keep our... Uh, Uh, ears uh, open and make sure that we are ready to uh, listen to this kind of feedback.
0: And so who is telling you the The truth and the gospel. Is that your wife?
1: I think uh, professionally I've got a few people that I trust uh, who are uh, telling me uh, things that uh, are really uh, true feedback and I appreciate that very much, the limited number of people. But I go and uh, seek uh, their feedback uh, and they feel comfortable enough to provide this kind of feedback. So I try to cultivate that because if you don't uh, uh, push for that, you will not get it. My wife, of course, but... uh, our children are great for that. Uh, so um, when I start to uh, to pitch about uh, what we are doing in terms of sustainability, of course they are probably a strong uh, um, uh, voice uh, to challenge me on that, and, and that's great, and I like it very much. Uh, so probably uh, they help me a lot. Yeah, no, same
0: here. So um, we normally ask uh, people at the end, um, you know, advice for young people. We have tens of thousands of um, young people listening to this this podcast. What kind of advice would you give
1: them? Well, I think probably the, the advice that we would, gi- uh, would give is um, uh, make a difference. Really, uh Uh, think about uh, how you can contribute. And this could be in your neighbor, that could be in a large company, but I really push the the younger generation to uh, uh, think um, in their inner resources what they can bring to this world because the world clearly uh, needs them. And uh, what I think is really uh, sad and uh, uh, it's really discouraging is when I see uh, the younger generation who don't want to fight who don't want to bring progress to this world. We don't want to invent. We don't want to uh, to fight to get a better world. And uh, I think we need we need the younger generation. Uh, we need to do our own share, but we need the younger generation to take their responsibility and to go and make a difference. Mm.
0: Well, François, you you run an amazing company in a fantastic business, and your values are coming through so clear. So thank you so much for uh, sharing all this with you and. Uh, All the best of luck.
1: Thank you very much, Nikolai. Enjoyed that. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Bye-bye.